0: The question before us this morning is Is faith blind? Is faith blind? When we're talking about Christianity, Christian faith, is faith blind? And I would like you to turn, if you would, in your Bible again to 1 John. It's almost at the end of the Bible. Uh, Revelation is last, and you back up just a couple of books and you find, or a few books, you find 1 John answering the question Is faith blind? So we're doing a short series on faith. What is faith in Christianity? Today we're only going to look at that question. We've looked at other questions like what is faith? Um, What's the object of faith? We looked at a bunch of other questions. We'll look at more in the future. But today, is faith blind? It's crucial that we talk about faith because if we're going to understand our Bibles, we need to understand something about what faith is and what faith isn't. Therefore, if we're going to understand Christianity, we need to understand something about what faith is and what it isn't. Knowing something about our culture, we really need to know this if we're going to explain Christianity to those who are not associated with it because their understanding of what faith is and even what they think we think faith is, is oftentimes different. So as good missionaries go to other cultures and study the culture so that they can clearly communicate the truth of Scripture, and the the truth of the Gospel... Well, if you study our culture a little bit as a missionary in Omaha, Nebraska, you'll understand that what you're hearing people say Christianity says about faith isn't exactly true. And if that's confusing, don't be confused. What I'm trying to get at is we really need to understand what the Bible says about faith and what it doesn't say. And only then can we know, so we can read our Bibles better and grow and learn, but also we can do a better job of of telling people who Jesus is and what we mean by faith when we say faith. It's crucial. My favorite thing to do in all of my Christian life is to preach the Bible. I love to preach the Bible. Second favorite thing I think in all my Christian life is to explain the Bible to people who don't know anything about it. I love to do that. I love to communicate the gospel to people who don't know or who have a uh, misperceived notion. And one thing I've found over the years is I've got to help people understand what faith is and what faith isn't. And that's not a job just for pastors. It's a job for all of us as ambassadors. So is faith blind? How would you answer that question? Is faith in Christianity, or in, in the Christian sense, is, is faith blind? I see no's. First of all, I would want to say no, and then I want to say yes. It's kind of a trick question. And the yes is a qualified yes. Okay? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at First John Pretty quickly. And then and we're going to see that faith is not blind in Christianity. Then we're going to see faith is blind in Christianity in a different sense. And we'll look at Hebrews, what's called the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is also toward the end of the Bible. So if you need to find that, you can do that. We'll spend the bulk of our time in Hebrews 11 because it talks about faith so much. Faith, well, I, I already asked you how you would answer, but I, I guess I would wonder... Why you would say no? In one word, faith is not blind in Christianity, even though lots of people think it is. In one word, it starts with an R. It's because of revelation. And I don't mean the book of Revelation but because of revelation coming from the word reveal. God has revealed himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're not going to go there right now, but in Hebrews chapter 1, there's this great summary account of how God is the God of revelation. God has been revealing himself. He has a long track record of revealing himself and making himself known in all different sorts of ways, all different sorts of means. We could go to Romans 1 as well. God has been revealing himself. And so when we trust God, that's what faith is. When we trust God, we're we're trusting in the God who's made himself known, the God who speaks. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that ultimately, in the end, with an exclamation point, if you will, God has spoken climactically, it's all been heading somewhere, through his Son. Okay, And eternal life is found in him. Everything is ultimately found in him. And so when we say faith in Christianity we're not talking about well here are the facts the realm of fact but over here in religion is the realm of faith divorced from fact it's not what we mean in Christianity first john is so awesome we read it for scripture reading first john chapter 1 verse 1 that which was from the beginning which we have heard Okay, that's Revelation talk, which we have seen. When you're blind, you don't, you don't see. We've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon. Again, that's not blind. Looked upon and have touched. There's actual experience. We're in the realm of fact, not the realm of Fiction. With our hands concerning the word of life, the revelation of life is the idea of word there. The revelation of life, the life was made manifest. Again, revelation talk. And we have seen it, not blind, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest. Again, revealing, making known manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete our joy together and even writing it's revelation talk so I don't want to belabor the point today but at least make the point in christianity Biblical Christianity, genuine Christianity, when we're talking about faith, first and foremost, we're not talking about the realm of fiction. We're talking about the realm of fact. I've had conversations even with some of you before. Not very many, but some of you, and you've talked about faith as this kind of realm of that's, that's the non-objective, that's just this kind of thing that we celebrate, you know, or Something like that. No. And so where my conversation with you then went was incarnation. Okay? Meaning in the flesh. Yes, God is mysterious. Yes, God is a spirit. Yes, there, there's much about God that we don't know and that we can't know. That's all absolutely true. And yet, in these last days, to quote Hebrews 1, He's spoken to us in His Son. Okay? Okay? The eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. So so 1 John sounds a lot like John 1. So it's it's a deal changer. It's not left to the realm of we have no idea. Right? He came, and maybe that's what troubles us so much sometimes. He came here and revealed God to us so that we might know God to the point of having fellowship with God and true fellowship with one another. It's amazing. Now, by by believing that, you are being exclusive. By by believing that, which is what Christianity teaches, you you are saying things like, he's the way. But you're also being very inclusive and, and being very uniting because if he really is from God and he really revealed God, we can know God. We can know fellowship with God. It's amazing. It's an amazing claim of biblical Christianity. God is still mysterious, but not utterly so, because he's made himself known. To the point where, as eyewitnesses, John is saying, We touched him. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But then it shatters our, to me, God is, theories, oftentimes. Our speculations. That's why Romans 1 calls them futile speculations. So we can know God. In Christianity, we trust, believe on the Lord Jesus, trust in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Jesus says, believe in me, trust in me. So let's make sure we know that. Let's have that clear. And in more liberal kinds of I hate to use that because we think politics, but in more naturalistic perspectives, even some who have claimed the name Christian, they don't talk about Christ in the realm of fact. They talk of Christ in the realm of faith as if it's not tied to fact. And so I know when I'm talking to someone from that perspective or with that background, I have to communicate differently and I have to talk about incarnation I have to talk about 1 John, I have to talk about John 1, I have to talk about Hebrews chapter 1. Because otherwise, while we might be in agreement with these words, we're not actually in agreement. Because we're not actually talking about Christianity, both of us. And this is awesome, by the way. To know God. If this wasn't true, by the way, it would be arrogant to claim to know God, wouldn't it? But if it is true, it would be arrogant to say you can't know God. Okay, now let's talk about how faith is blind. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. I don't like the word blind. But there's a sense in which faith is blind because the Bible talks about trusting God when you can't see the end. Okay. If I can't see heaven, if I can't see what happens after I breathe my last breath, if I can't see the new Jerusalem, okay, these, these are things that haven't happened yet, and yet they're promised, I've got to trust in God for something I can't see. Okay. And so the Bible does talk about that, but it's not divorced from, it's not separated from this God who has a track record. The God who has a track record of revelation. The God who sent his son, who was raised from the dead. There's a, there's a super long track record of God in his objectivity. That sounds fancy, but in his realness. Not just my feelings, but God actually doing something. Actually doing things, making promises and keeping his promises. So we've got this long track record, so it makes it objective, based upon fact. And yet, because there are still things to come, We take God at his word. Faith in that sense is blind because we haven't seen these things yet with our own eyes. Does that make sense? I still don't like to use the word blind because that would be based upon nothing you've ever seen. But you get the idea. There's a sense in which you're trusting God for tomorrow but you haven't been there yet. Here's what's happening in Hebrews. It's fascinating, and I'm gonna relate it to us a little bit. I just wanted to do Hebrews super fast and do like three more points, and I didn't get past Hebrews 11. Sorry. What's happening in the book of Hebrews is Jewish people who've professed faith in Christ are being persecuted, and they're feeling the rub, and they have nothing Maybe an Old Testament, maybe a few New Testament letters, maybe a few other believers to gather with, and they're being persecuted from their families, from their culture, especially if it's in and around Jerusalem, they don't have much they can see other than written down promises. But what you can see is what the Jews have. Their unbelieving family members have all kinds of stuff you can see. They have the temple. They have the priests. They have the sacrifices. They have the animals. They have the blood. They have the smoke. They have the decorations. They have the robes. They've got what today I call smells and bells. I mean, it's it's, it's experiential. They've got all of this stuff that you don't have to take on faith. It's actually there. Okay? Okay? And the writer to to, to the Hebrews is saying, don't go back there. Those are types and shadows meant to anticipate the coming of Jesus, but he came, and if you have him, you have everything. And bear with me on this. It'll make Hebrews more interesting and understandable. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Everything. And let me prove it to you from your Old Testament. Let me prove to you that the great godly people that those Jews outside there at the temple say they believe in, that there were men and women of faith, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, and the other kinds of arcs, right? They trusted God in the hard times even when they couldn't see Yet. Okay, that's what's happening. Not trust in self, not trust and turn your brain off, but trust in the God who has acted and has acted throughout history. And so when you're trusting for a new Jerusalem, something made without human hands, something better than these things, you're not trusting in a God who can't be trusted. You can't see it yet, so it's blind in that sense. But in another sense, it's not blind at all. Now, I better hurry because it's a long chapter as that would relate to today at least a little bit it's not exactly the same but we are told by various voices that this is better we are told in different ways that we should leave Christ who we cannot now see some of the appeal comes from a sacramentalism. Come here and we've got all the smells and bells. What do you have at Omaha Bible Church? Not much. Cheap metal building. Bibles. Come over here. It's, it's relevant in that sense, especially if you're being persecuted by family or friends who are part of that other kind of system. Or how about in a different sense? when we hear from teachers that, and I hate to use this because it's so old now, but you should expect to have your best life now. Well, if I'm I'm not having my best life now, because I want you to know I'm not having my best life now. So I can't tell you how to have your best life now. And something's wrong, something's broken. That you should be healthy, that should, you should be happy, that everything should be going great, that the culture should love you for your religious associations. All of this to set up Hebrews for us. We're going to trust God even when it's difficult in the here and now because His promises are for something better in Christ that is yet to come that we haven't seen yet. And He has a long history of acting this way okay? Man, that was a big setup. When you feel the pressure, when you feel the rub, it's because your, your hope, your confidence is in reality, but something that is yet to be revealed. And you'd be a fool to trade that in or something that's promised in the here and now is the idea. Okay, I love Hebrews 11. It's a great one. It comes in like three different acts. If it's a drama, it comes in three different acts. Uh, you've got Genesis 1 to 6, and then you've got following Abraham, and then you've got kind of the, the miscellaneous people. So in verses 1 to 7, this is the this is G- first chapters of, of Genesis. So let's go ahead and go. We'll try to go pretty fast. Verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, faith is in something not seen. Conviction in something not seen. That, In that sense, it's blind, right? Because if you can't see, you're blind. But you've got this confidence. You've got this conviction regarding things you haven't seen. It's objective. It's not subjective. It's not based upon what comes within you. It's based upon something that's true outside of you, specifically regarding God. But it's a great text. It's a great verse. But oftentimes we quote it, quote it, and we don't even know the context or what it's about. Please don't do that. Verse 2. For by it, this kind of confidence, this kind of faith that is confident, for by it the people of old receive their commendation characteristic of believers in the past, and those first century Jews are going to say, oh yeah, we like all those people. Characteristic of those people was confidence in God even when they couldn't see. So to believe in a Jesus who's a perfect high priest resurrected and ascended is not foolish. That would just be par for the course. You can't see Him. That would be a lot lot of the times the way God has worked. Okay, some more reminders about faith. Verse 3, by faith, by trusting God, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 3 is a tact the writer to Hebrews is using with people who believe that to be true. I might take a different tact if I'm trying to explain This whole thing to somebody who doesn't believe that to be true. That's for a different conversation. He's talking to Bible believing Jews, supposedly. And he's like, You guys believe, because this is what Bible believing Jews believe, that God created the world. But you weren't there to see it, but you still believe it. So why are you having a problem with Jesus, who's now ascended as a high priest? You already have a track record for believing God. You're already Bible believers. And now for some names. Verse 4. By faith, Abel, that's Genesis 4, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous God, commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, against faith in God, though he died, he still speaks. Those Jews would have said, oh yeah, we we, we like him. He did the right thing. That's good. He he was a man of faith. He trusted God. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch, now Genesis 5, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And and of course, by now they go, Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's true with all those Old Testament people. And he's saying it's true with regards to the ascended christ also i want to come back to verse six on a different sunday but not today verse seven by faith noah that's genesis six being warned by god concerning events as yet unseen right echoing verse one it's unseen but you've got to trust god because of what he's saying is gonna happen in reverent fear or awe constructed an ark for the saving of his household again just read between the lines there think about ridicule from friends, and he's taking God at his word. By this, he commend, he condemned the world. It's because he didn't act by sight alone. He trusted God and what God said and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. A lot of us aren't familiar with the Old Testament. For a lot of us, that doesn't really resonate. But that original audience was going, huh, that's right. Or they should have been. It's true. We trust God even if we can't see what tomorrow brings. Confidence in him. Let's keep going. Here's like the second act of this drama of faith. Verses 8 to 22, it's Abraham and his descendants. Focusing on the promise of God, not the greatness of the people because they're so awesome they had faith, but God is so awesome they could trust in Him. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. He, he was so confident that God was true and right that he's going he's to do what God says. That, that's evidence of, of faith. When he was called to go out to a place, maybe place that is on purpose generic because he didn't really know where it was. That he was to receive as an inheritance. This is Genesis 17. He's got to trust God to go to this place, this land, this inheritance. And he went out. He did what God said, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, stressing the temporary there, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Again, faith leading to action, action showing evidence of faith. We'll talk more about that on a different Sunday. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to, again, we've been emphasizing that this morning, expectancy, anticipation, trusting God that God is going to be true to his word, looking forward to waiting expectantly to the city. Ah, stressing permanence, right? It was a tent, and now we're looking for the city where there's some permanence. Something better that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So God is the emphasis here. He's utterly reliable, even in the context of, of these kinds of trials and doubts and difficulties. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself. And so now we have a matriarch. Herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Again, object of faith is important. God is reliable. I've got to trust him even though this seems silly. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Oh, reminiscent of Genesis twenty-two seventeen. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. There was anticipation. And having acknowledged, New American Standard probably is even better, it's stronger, not acknowledged, but confessed. They agreed with God about his promise, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I know it's lots of data, but just think in terms of there's this long line of history where people had faith in God because he's great and trustworthy and reliable. And so no matter what things look like in my life right now, I'm going to continue to trust him. And he's showing great example after great example after great example. And it's not because they're so awesome. It's because God is so trustworthy. Right? It's worth it. Amidst persecution, difficulty, challenges, ridicule. Then verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's this fervent expectancy. Keep reading, if you would, in verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, the land of Ur, They would have had an opportunity to return. I love verse 16. I put it in all bold. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's better! Again, context, there's all this stuff here where you can see something about God and His ways and all the system and all of these things. And it seems best because that's where people like me and are nice to me and that's where they want me to be and that's where there's fellowship. And He's saying there's something better. And even these Old Testament people understood there's something better. It was never designed to be the ultimate. I love the word better in Hebrews. In chapter 7, verse 19, there's a better hope. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1, a better covenant. 9.23, better sacrifices. 10.34, a better possession. But it's beyond what we see. But because of Jesus incarnation and work we know it's objectively true and we know it's better blind faith that really isn't blind faith how about verse 17 by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son in the act right i wrote in my margin having to be interrupted of whom it is said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. Right? So it's, the offspring is going to come through, from Isaac, God promised, and now he's supposed to kill Isaac? Got to do what God says. Verse nine, 19 helps us. He considered that God... Put your emphasis on that. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back hmm. trusting in the god who can raise the dead beyond what i could imagine beyond what could be done in a lab but god has such a again i'm going to use the word objectively objectively verifiable track record of even working in this world i know i can trust him arguing from the lesser to the greater you and i should be able to say we know we can trust him because we have more revelation and we have the ultimate revelation and the ultimate resurrection Faith isn't blind because of him. Then verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. It's fascinating. By faith, and yet he didn't experience what he was anticipating and that the others experienced. But it didn't get in the way of him trusting God. So that little review ends like the end of Genesis with the death of Joseph. So again, we may not appreciate this as 21st century primarily Gentiles. But writing to a Jewish audience primarily, he's taking their Jewish book of beginnings and he's showing them that the right way to think, the right way to act is to always be impressed with the God who acts, who speaks, who works, and to trust Him, no matter what. That, by the way, is what's going to cause the Hebrews in the New Testament to continue following Jesus. Even though their friends don't want them to. Even though their family doesn't want them to. They're going to continue following Jesus because He's trustworthy even though it doesn't necessarily right then and there look like it. Because right then and there, they're sitting around with nothing. Right? And these people, first century Jewish people, they know enough, they know more than a lot of us know, they know enough to know they are sinners. They know enough to know something about this holy God who judges sinners. And they know enough to know they need priests. They know enough to know they need atonement. And so they've got the sacrificial system running. But the author of Hebrews is saying, the priest you really need is the priest you can't see right now. Not that he doesn't exist, but he's not here right now. He's the one you really need. Practicality-wise for us, when your life is terrible because of persecution or because of you name it, ultimately you have to look beyond what you can see with your eyes. I'm not asking you, nor is the Bible asking you to turn your brain off. And have faith in faith. But trust in God, the God who has revealed himself, the God who has worked, the God who has raised from the dead, and the God who has promised a better city that is yet to come. This isn't the one. Let's move on to this third act of the faith drama. We've got Moses and the others of the Exodus generation. I like to say these are the first gen Xers. This is the Exodus generation. Um, People marked by disappointment and conflict. Welcome to, to our lives in a very different sense. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. seems like they were, in the right sense, more afraid of God than that king. They trusted God, so they did something otherwise unimaginable. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he, was, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That has, that has a message for us, okay? Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus. That's where all this culminates. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? I'm not going to be persecuted. I'll just compromise. No, trust God. How about motivation for Moses in verse 26? He considered the reproach of Christ. This is Moses? This is irony. He considered the reproach of Messiah. Let's use that word, Old Testament word. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. I, I could probably do a sermon series on that and give you 17 things it doesn't mean and three things that it might mean. And, but, but the point is pretty pretty awesome. Let's even learn this from Moses. Especially to a Jewish audience. Even even. even Even Moses, Mosaic law guy, even Moses was looking for something greater. That caused him to be a man of faith, trusting God. Well, not only is he just trusting God in general, he considered the approach of Messiah greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You should too, is what he's getting at. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right? How about that? Seeing him who is invisible. Because he was a, God, a man who trusted God. So even the blind faith, goes to my point, isn't blind. Learn from him. 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. The only thing I wrote in my margin is seemingly pretty dumb. Right? You're going to do what? Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is the Passover lamb, so it's not dumb at all foreshadowing-wise, First Corinthians 5, 7. Okay, I have in my notes, fast. 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been uh, encircled for seven days. Again, seemingly super dumb verse 31 by faith Rahab the prostitute surprisingly enough did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies then these triumphant heroes in verse 32 and, and what more shall I say in other words I could keep going for time would fail me to tell of Gideon his crushing victory going from 32,000 to 300 Barak against the 900 chariots Samson recognizing that it's from God the victory and the spirit of God Jephthah David Israel's greatest king Samuel the prophets Elijah Elisha Isaiah Jeremiah Ezekiel Daniel and the twelve prophets who verse 33 through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war put foreign armies to flight none of them were personally great God is great but they trusted Him. How about verse 35? Women receive back their dead by resurrection. 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, 1 Kings 17 again. But there's going to be a better resurrection. Then verse 35 goes on to say something interesting I don't think you want to miss. I like to just read the first part and go, yeah, if if I'm a man or a woman of faith, victory, 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 victory. Against all odds, I'll always be the victor. I kind of like that. We should make movies about it. Oh, we do. And So as long as I pray and do all this stuff and I'm a man of faith, my football team will win. Well, we should probably make a movie about this part too. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. The whole thing is about the better. A better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And we could look at examples of Jeremiah, Hanani, Micaiah, Maccabean martyrs, others. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world, that would be humanity and its rebellion against God, was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. How about verse 39, make it bold, and all these, though commended through their faith, their trust in God, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So, yeah, trust God. Good things happen sometimes in the here and now. Trust God. Bad things happen in the here and now. But the here and now is not the point anyway. The point is the better life and the better city, okay? Trust God no matter what and be faithful to the end by his grace through the power of the spirit because in this sense, faith is blind. But you know and I know it's not really blind because we're trusting in the God who is faithful. Okay, finally, finally, to, to, to end, let, let's end with chapter 12. We'll have food delivered. Just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, conclusion, because you see, this, Hebrews is a sermon. So at least temporary conclusion, opening verses of 12, okay? I mean, just let's leave on this great note. 12, 1 and 2, because of all of that, better, 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 trust God, therefore, 12, 1, since we are surrounded, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us, Christians, run with endurance the race that is set before us, right, persevere, keep going, even when your life is terrible, For whatever reason, keep going, persevere. We're surrounded by these people going, yeah, go, 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 right? Keep trusting God. He's trustworthy. We're surrounded by them and they're cheering us on, so to speak. And then the high point of the whole thing in verse 2, here's what they're cheering us on by. Here's why they're cheering us on. Here's the ultimate motivator, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. i like to stop there, but we're not quite going to do that. You look to Christ, and He's the better one, the better, the better everything. Let's just do it that way. The ultimate high priest, the final atonement, better sacrifice. That's what I was trying to think of. And He also serves as the better example the perfect example who for the joy set before him endured the cross oh the, the book of Hebrews is calling us to endure oh we call ourselves Christians we are followers of Christ he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God persecution enduring exaltation we're in Christ by faith persecution enduring in Christ exaltation we should pray Father thank you for this morning and thank you for believers who have gone before us thank you for the great cloud of witnesses a whole big list a litany of sinners like us who according to your sovereign grace trusted in you the God who is faithful. May our focus, may our attention be riveted upon Christ ultimately. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Thank you that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not a blind faith because he was the one who came here as he became one of us and was touched by us, seen by us, heard by us as a human race he's our confidence motivate us this week to live for his honor and for his glory to be encouraged by men and women of faith but ultimately ultimately to look to Christ In his name we pray amen